Fall is in the air, and while you might be ready for football and pumpkin spice-flavored everything, the pros at Legacy want to make sure your furnace is ready, too. Annual tune-ups help keep your furnace running safely and efficiently when you need it most. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com for online scheduling and exclusive furnace tune-up specials. And while you're there, make caring for your HVAC a breeze with an annual maintenance plan starting at just $13 a month. Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the aspiring team to be viral Notre Dame football show that's dedicated to Notre Dame football, even when they don't play up to par. <laughs> we got lots to talk about tonight. We're taking your questions. We're not taking your manifestos. We're not taking whiny questions, but we'll take tough questions and we'll be happy to work those in to what we're talking about. Uh, Tyler's here. That's Tyler. Oops, this way. Um, with uh, all the instructions on what things you have to click on here. But I do want to mention before we move forward, Legacy Heating and Air. I am due for a fall maintenance. I love their maintenance schedule. I'm on a maintenance plan with them, and it's worth every penny. Yeah, I will not try to do the the Vanna White like Eric did and mess up my <laughs> directions, but I will clue everyone in if they are new to the live YouTube game. Make sure you have clicked through either to the YouTube website or a YouTube app to be able to join us in the chat and submit questions. We'll take your questions throughout the show, as Eric mentioned. And uh, the, the comment section should be to the right-hand side if you're on a desktop. Um, and it should be below our talking voices if uh, you're on a mobile device. So hopefully you can figure that out if you haven't already. And uh, we'll get to those questions later throughout the show. And uh, I wanted to also mention we are running a 30-day free trial for our InsideNDSports.com. Um, we, we're, we're offering that to anyone in our YouTube audience that is not subscribed to our website. Um, so you can sign up using the code NDYT. There is a link in the video description um, that will take you there um, to sign up. And we'll actually put that code in for you, double check that it works. Um, but it should. And if you just go to our website and go to sign up, if you remember to use the code NDYT, you will get a 30-day free trial. So we hope you give us a shot there and uh, check out our premium analysis and recruiting coverage because there's going to be plenty of that coming this week, certainly with a big game ahead. Sounds good. Well, we are going to start with it. Notre Dame ranked 21st now. They tumbled 11 spots in the AP poll. They play their fourth-ranked team in a row, the first time that's happened since 2000, the 2000 season and the sixth time in school history. Uh, when they host number 10 USC on Saturday night. It's also the fourth night game in a row, and that's the first time in school history. So, Tyler, the first place I'd like to go with you is, does this feel like a USC week for usual reasons, or is there more at stake here? Um, I don't th think like it feels like a USC week at all. <laughs> I don't uh, know. Like, uh, I don't know that I've spent much time thinking about USC currently. I don't know that Notre Dame fans are thinking – much about USC, I think much of the focus is just on Notre Dame and what it needs to do to fix the issues that have been on display in recent weeks and, and get uh, get this program headed back in the right direction. I think there's a lot more bigger picture questions about the coaching staff and the players. And so I think the fact that Notre Dame is playing USC, believe it or not, feels feels like more of an afterthought than, than anything, at least at this point of the week. Maybe that changes by the time we get to Thursday or Friday. 
but uh, at least that's how I feel. What about you, Eric? I agree. I, I think this is an inflection point for Marcus Freeman and his staff. And I don't say that lightly. Um, you know, I've usually pretty measured in my responses to things. And I think back over the experience I have of covering college football over the years. And, you know, I've, when, when there's a coach, I think is over their head, I'll, I'll be the first to say it. And, uh, when Brian Kelly was in hot water after the 2016 season, after I saw the improvements he made in the off season, I kind of pushed my chips in on Brian Kelly on that point with Marcus Freeman. I need to see something from him this week and not necessarily. Well, I mean, yes, necessarily on game day, but I think in the days leading up to the game, how he handles this, I, I think that I was really taken aback uh, by how the how and why the Louisville loss happened. And and even if Louisville goes on and builds on that and becomes a top 10 team, I think there were just so many self-inflicted problems that had to do with coaching in that game. Again, I think Marcus has a lot of the makings of a coach who could be really successful at Notre Dame, but they need to show up this week and he needs to acknowledge that they're there, even if he doesn't do that in press conferences. So let's move on then uh, to whether you agree with me that, that I'm making this such an important, um, an important confirmation or denial of whether Marcus Freeman is moving along with this growth curve the way that he should. I guess a referendum, if you will. Tyler is either miming or or we are having some technical difficulties. I can't hear him. I I uh, muted my mic and didn't turn it back on. So thank you for speaking up. Okay. <laughs> That's I was my like, bad. boy, this is really insightful. We'll just kind of sit with my comments. <laughs> you throw a flag I was going to my... start singing the Legacy Heating and Air song. <laughs> I got a flag on myself and clearly I wasn't prepared. Got to go back and watch the film why I wasn't prepared. But um, <laughs> anyways, what I, what I was trying to say is I think it's difficult for this specific game to be a referendum on the Marcus Freeman era. I, I, it's at the end of such a long run that has not been easy for Notre Dame. USC is a good team. Notre Dame, I, Notre Dame could play great and still lose to USC. I mean, Notre Dame fans probably don't want to hear that, but that's how good Caleb Williams is. Um, and so if Notre, so maybe, maybe there would be a section of the fan base that would be encouraged if the offense goes good, goes well or plays well and it's a high scoring game, but Notre Dame loses to Caleb Williams. But I think there's still going to be people that are like, well, if we can't beat USC, like what are we doing here? This is three losses already this season. And they're going to continue to question why, why this decisions were made with this coaching staff, whether that's the head coach being hired in the first place or some of the assistant coaches that have been hired since. Um, I just feel like it's a, it's a lot to put into one game. Um, I think I think in the macro I understand it, but for this to sort of be a microcosm of the entire Marcus Freeman experience, I think would be um, a bit unfair. Um, but I do think that Notre Dame has to has to 
make significant improvements to beat USC. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Notre Dame not aligning or not meeting what it wants to be as a program. Um, and I think there's more and more questions as the season progresses about, well, is this, is this what Notre Dame wants to be? Or are they living up to what they want to be? Or is this really an offensive line, defensive line driven program? You can say it, but you got to be it. Um, I, I don't know if Notre Dame is right now. Can you develop wide receivers? Um, is this a good spot for someone like a grad, uh, like Sam Hartman, a grad transfer QB that wants to come in and improve their, their draft stock and maybe take a run at the, at the playoff. If it does a bad season or one that doesn't come close to a playoff, maybe hurt Notre Dame in the long run. If it wants to bring in a grad transfer next season, if it doesn't feel that Steve Angeli is the next guy in line. So I think there are a lot of things that this season will, will tell us about Marcus Freeman and where this program is headed, but to put it all on this game, I think I think it's tough. I, I just think it's it's not an easy position for Notre Dame to be in, and and like, does that pressure need to be added already to a USC rivalry game that already has enough enough that goes with it as is when you gotta you gotta face Caleb Williams, the defending Heisman Trophy champion? Well, I don't know that. I mean, maybe Marcus doesn't want to put that kind of pressure on himself, but I think he's invited it. I think. Mm-hmm. The regression with the offensive line, I mean, arguably its best game was the Ohio State game. Then it's gone backwards two weeks in a row. And understandably, somewhat against Duke, but that was kind of your, okay, let's learn from this. Here's what Duke did. Louisville did the same thing, and yet Mm -hmm. Notre Dame was closer to full strength on offense. I think it invites questions about, Can Marcus, between the two of them, can Marcus and Jared Parker fix offensive problems? You've got inexperience at both positions. Um, And and that's what a lot of the job is. I mean, Jared Parker is a creative guy. He's got a pretty full catalog to pick from in terms of offensive ideology. They score 40 or more points in the first four games of a season at Notre Dame since 1900. And then they haven't been able to get past 20 in the last three and have looked bad doing that. I thought the um, the offensive line rotation was a rookie mistake. I think you worked that out in practice. You know, I'm going hard at Marcus. I think I'm being fair, but I, I want to point out the things that are concerning to me. So it's not if they beat USC all as well, if they beat USC – and they're still going backwards with their offensive line, and they're still having tackling issues, I'm concerned. If they lose to USC, and I see incredible improvement on both sides of the ball, then I feel better about this program. And and I'll throw this to you, Tyler. What I didn't get today was a lot of those answers in the press conference. Marcus had to pick how he was going to react to probably – I would say in some ways, at least from the media, we were harder on Marcus after this loss than maybe the Marshall and the Stanford losses um, because he was a first-year coach and and you lose a little bit of that grace period. And he, to his credit, he didn't snap at the media. He wasn't, you know, hmm. okay, we're closing off access this week. At least we don't think so. Um, but I also thought we got, so much word salad today. It was incredible. I mean, I thought, what am I going to, 
write a notebook from today because Tyler's going to take the injuries. We're, we're, you know, there's not a lot of really <laughs> profound statements here where we got much insight. And so, um, you know, I think Marcus does that because he wants to be the opposite of Brian Kelly. Yeah. In that he doesn't want to throw players under the bus. So he says, we're not pointing the finger at anybody. We're pointing it at everybody. <laughs> well, you know what? It, I think there's probably a happy medium there. That's a little bit closer to Marcus's uh, approach, but let's go with you. what did you get out of today's press conference? In, in both information and then how Marcus decided to handle things. Yeah, I mean, I think the one of the few things that I feel like seemed like an admission that we finally got to, and I, I was trying to get at it like or figure out what they were doing, or I asked about Audric Estime and why why isn't there not being some – is has there been success and now there isn't success? Are you doing predictable things? Is the offensive line just not playing well? Um, and he's sort of broadly pointed to execution and that it's not just the offensive line. Some other – the tight ends and wide receivers play a role in that as well. And then also um, he seemed to push back at the idea of there being predictability in the offense. Um, and then Pete Sampson followed up with a question about maybe the, if your execution isn't there the last couple of weeks and you have – is your offense too wide? Are you using too many things on offense? Are you, are you trying to, to do too, too many things that is maybe getting in the in the heads of guys and they're just not able to process everything? There's there's too much being thrown on their plate. And he seemed to sort of be in agreement with that idea and that there needs to be maybe some paring down and some figuring out of, okay, what do we do best? What, what, what do we need to get rid of? Um, and how do we make sure that these guys are are best at what we do best? Um, and beyond that, I mean, it seemed like a lot of coach speak, but I I don't really know. I don't know that I fault a coach for this because I mean we've seen the reaction. Said the like, coach's son. It, it's just an impossible dance when things are going wrong. Like, is yeah. there anything that Marcus Freeman could have said today? They're like, okay, I get it. They're going to beat USC now. I don't think so. Like, I don't know what what. What they're he's like, yeah, we're gonna march out a whole new offensive line. Jared Parker's fired. Um, I'm gonna call the defense for the rest of the season. <laughs> like, I, I like I don't that and and those things have happened before. Yeah, but but is that really what is that really gonna fix what's going on? I, I don't know. Um, I, so I, I mean, when things are going wrong, people want things to change. Um, and he is well, at least isn't necessarily presenting things changing. I think right. what's going you're, on behind the scenes is what is what matters obviously more than what he's telling us he's he's fighting two battles he's fighting a reality battle and he may be doing a great job with that he's also fighting a perceptual battle right because suddenly people are like whoa marcus freeman come on man and i, I won't say that it necessarily spills into recruiting at this point but i mean i saw a father of a notre dame football player criticizing the offense on Twitter yeah, pretty harshly on mm -hmm. Saturday night. Now he, his son doesn't play offense, but, um, and I think that's better that it wasn't that, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's what I'm saying. He's fighting that perception. And if you're, you know, coming off as, yeah, the play callings, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. And 
the offensive line, yeah, they were solid. No, the offensive line wasn't solid. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying the offensive line play was bad and it's our fault. You know, yeah. the, 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 the rotations were ridiculous and uh, we, we've got to get it better. And, and this is how we plan to do it without giving away trade secrets. That's what I would be critical of because, I mean, this was too, too much of not saying anything. I mean, I've, you know, I've seen this, I've seen this movie before and it doesn't necessarily end well, unless there are things going on behind the scenes and he can do it any way he wants. But I'll say this, Marcus came in, same guy that he normally does. He always hits me with the papers that he has. He hits my <laughs> shoulder with them as he comes in and asks me how I'm doing. And he was, again, never rattled. He was never mean. I mean, there are times maybe he didn't understand a question, but he was, you know, the classy guy. I mean, what you would expect. And I think that's good. I've seen coaches chew people up and I've been on the chewing end of one of those ones. So, yeah. And I, I even had someone from Notre Dame reach out to make sure that Marcus wanted me to know that he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't trying to be a jerk with the way he answered my question. So I, I didn't take it that way. Um, I think sort of the way he ended his first question, because I don't think he liked it when I said predictable. Um, and then I think the end of his, his answer was something like, maybe you can predict what we're doing. And I was not trying to imply that I, I could do that. Um, but I can, uh, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. It's so, joke. uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's definitely aware of how he comes across and like, I, I, I would have a bigger issue if behind the scenes, Marcus Freeman isn't having frank conversations with Jared Parker and saying, Hey, what are we doing right. here? Why is this happening? I, and I, maybe I'm being foolish and, and falling for Marcus Freeman's front, but I think the, I think he is having those conversations. I don't think he's saying, Jared, keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. I, I don't. I would be surprised if that's how he's handling this situation. I would agree, given the standards that he holds everybody to, and giving his mantra of question everything. I Absolutely. mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't align with who he's been up to this point. Now we're going to get into some of the specifics of USC week here, including the injury update. But do we want to take some questions first? Uh, sure. Oh, we got all kinds of questions. Let me uh, dig into these. Okay. Um, this is more of a statement than a question, but I think we can turn it into a question. Rob Robert, Matt Bayless leaving ND affect the offensive line as they looked gas on Saturday night. I, I, I was did has Matt Bayless leaving affected them? I think is probably the best way to turn that into a uh, a question. I I don't know that I would I would say that I I don't you know we were. Matt Bayless trained them all winter and all through the summer until fall camp, or I guess it's summer camp almost now, uh, started. And then Fred Hale took over. And again, their conditioning things aren't as deep and strenuous and so forth. It's more maintenance during the season than it is. Uh, but I will say this. I mean, Matt Bayless's reach as a, team leader and as somebody that was also a good sounding board for players, I think will be missed no matter who was the interim. I mean, it could be, you know, the best interim in the history of interim strength coaches and Matt Bayless was special, but I don't think that was what was showing up on Saturday night. I, I don't 
you know, maybe they look gassed. Uh, they shouldn't have if they were getting rotate, playing rotations. <laughs> they played 68 snaps. I mean, that's not an inordinate amount of snaps for a college football team. I mean, there are teams that get into the 80s and 90s that play tempo. So I, I wouldn't say there, but I do think, Ron, your point is well taken that there was a reach with Matt Bayless that I think is difficult to measure on a day-to-day basis as we go through the season. I mean, he was he was exceptional. Yeah, I, this was one of the topics I considered asking about today, but I, I in my limit of two questions, didn't chose not to go down this road because I'm honestly not sure what, what Marcus Freeman would say in terms of being frank about it. Like, my thought is like, is 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 this showing up? How, would it be nice to have someone like ba- Matt Bayless in a week like this where you're maybe in the dumps and he seems to be a very good motivator of the team and had a pulse of the program and you need to get charged up for these USC game? Like, how, that's one of my biggest questions. Like, how do they get back up for this game on Saturday night? Like, I understand the, the rivalry and all that and its importance, but they got midterms this week. There, there's a lot going on for this Notre Dame football team right now. And I have to, it's hard for me not to wonder like what, what role Matt Bayless could possibly play in helping prepare, prepare them for this week. Um, well, well, one thing Tyler is, um, and I think John Waggle handles most of this now. And I think at one point Matt did, but when Marcus says, okay, we're going to be more physical this week, or we're going to back off a little bit and you know, who can, who can, who's able to, who can we push a little bit more? I mean, Matt was pretty good at interpreting the answers from all the data that they get. I would imagine John Waggle is too. I'm just trying to brainstorm a little bit when you were thinking out loud. Yeah, but that's more of the the like. Phys- I'm talking about like the actual like motivational aspect of sure. it. Like, I feel like Matt Bayless. That's not ju- that's not just like the work the workouts they're doing. I'm talking about like yeah. he inspires guys. Like that. Those are two different things. And so, like, yeah. I have no idea what if John Waggle has any role in that. Um, I am not under the impression that he does. I think that would be Fred Hale's job. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm curious, like, what sort of response those guys have to that? And maybe, maybe Marcus Freeman thinks that he is that guy, and he doesn't need he doesn't need a Matt Bayless to do that. So maybe that's um, what Marcus Freeman has to do this week is be that guy to to get them into that into that mode. Okay. All right, um, Jade Ido, why not give Gino Gaduli a shot at offensive coordinator since Jared Parker is not living up to it? Well, I think Gino and Joe Rudolph both have input. Marcus Freeman said as much. I mean, that was one of the questions he did answer directly, that they are collaborative. Mm -hmm. And he's mentioned that before when people weren't questioning the offense, when they were saying how great it was. One of the facets that Marcus liked was that he got input from the other people on the offensive staff. And certainly Gino and um, Joe Rudolph have offensive coordinator experience i don't think that that's something that he would do uh, i don't think that's something he would do during the season i think when they get to the end of the season if we're still having this conversation then i think he has to go through and see you know what's best there yeah um i agree i don't know that like changing this midseason is going to um, make that big of an impact, um, especially if it is as collaborative as they say it is. Um, Jared Parker doesn't seem like a guy to me that is like, no, this is my idea. This is what we're doing. 
he seems like a very collaborative person. So it seems it seemed collaborative on that audio from the yeah. Duke when you game. listen to right, you, yeah, you listen to the the game winning drive against Duke. Now, I, now, granted, that's edited. We don't we didn't hear everything that was said, but obviously, you hear them collaborating with each other. <laughs> they left uh, out the order for pizza. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I, I do think that um, I, I, I would be curious to, to sort of know like behind the scenes how much more of a role or maybe th- does does Gino or does, does Joe Rudolph feel more compelled to speak up in different situations given the way that things have been going um, or have they always been? I, I, I don't know that for certain, um, but I, I do think that um, there has been a lot of people leaning on each other to get this, get this to where it is because – um, if we want to criticize Jared Parker as a play caller, I, I don't know that I can criticize him as in terms of like a person and a teammate. He seems like a really good, uh, just for my interactions with him and everything I yep. know of him, he seems like someone that like, he's listen, he's taking these losses just as hard as anyone. He's working together with everyone to try to get things fixed. Um, and maybe, maybe you think he's being stubborn with his play calls during the game, but I don't think he, he comes off of, to me as a stubborn person that, that thinks very highly of him too highly of himself to, to not uh, sort of make adjustments when needed. And it's, and it's not just getting it fixed. It's getting it fixed with all this outside eyes on you and all this pressure kind of building. I, I know that there were looking at Tyrone Willingham staff, for example, they were pretty successful staff at Stanford. And when, and this was certain, uh, with some of Brian Kelly's assistants as well, coming from Central Michigan and Cincinnati, you get into this pressure cooker at Notre Dame and you have to fix something and you're second guessing yourself maybe, or you're so stubborn because you're trying to fend mm-hmm. off the noise. And so it's a different dynamic and it. So this is his first time kind of going through that, even though he has some limited offensive coordinator experience. All right. Jeffrey Stevens asks, Micah Bell is a freshman and plays corner, but is said to be the fastest dude on the team. Any idea given he played wide receiver in high school, could be get, could he be given a shot at receiver in the near future? Is this crazy? You know, w- we talked about that either on this show or maybe the podcast last week. That He was one of my nominations if Notre Dame needed to dig into another position group, either Micah Bell or Devin Ford. I just think it would be really difficult at this point in the season. Maybe you get to the bye week and you say, hey, Micah, um, we're going to teach you some really basic plays and have you run down the field. But I think some of the issues with Notre Dame's passing game are talented wide receivers that maybe aren't interpreting the defense and running the routes the right way. And that might be hurting things uh, for them more than just pure speed. I mean, Matthias Merriweather, or Tobias, I changed his name, Tobias Merriweather (laughs) is a really fast guy. Rico Flores is super fast. Jordan Faison is uh, an elite speed kind of guy. I can't wait to see him play lacrosse. Um, but, uh, But if the numbers required somebody... Micah Bell would be one of the first two people I thought of from a different position group. Yeah, I mean, this falls in the category of every wide receiver's position change that we suggest or has been suggested 
helps you at the slot position, which I don't think is the position you need the help at. You, you need outside receiver help, and I don't know that there's there's people on the roster that are capable of doing that. You need the guys that were recruited to do that, to be able to do that, and uh, you sort of have to to go with where you're at. And also, I, I, I do remember us talking about this before, and I remember going back because I was like, wait a minute, did Micah Bell really play that much receiver? He played mostly running back as a senior on offense um, in high school. I'm not sure how much he played as a sophomore or junior. He didn't. His stats aren't aren't he didn't have a lot of stats in terms of receptions playing receiver. So I'm not sure that uh, his wide receiver history is as extensive as we may have uh, uh, led folks. Well, to Well, he does day. have offensive playing. He understands sure. offense. So, and he does run fast. He, he does, does run fast. There's no argument about that. He has a history of running fast. Yeah. <laughs> but so that does Chris right. Tyree and that, and they can't get him the ball always either. Um, next question is for Bob Alvey. Have we ran any play action passes from under center, or is that something Hartman can't do? Tyler, I'm going to lean on the film study. I have not charted that. Um, so I pulled up the pro football focus data. Um, and I do, I, I knew it was skewed that Notre Dame doesn't run a lot of play action. Um, pro football focus has Sam Hartman running 21 running play actions on 21% of his dropbacks this season. Um, and so that's not a very high percentage. What is a high percentage? What would be? Oh, oh, I mean, so I guess I don't know. I would need to look at what it would be, but I, you can get up towards 50%. I mean, it depends on what kind of offense you're in, especially if you're running a heavy RPO offense. Well, it depends. Some people might just call it an RPO rather than a play action, but you have an option to, to hand it off. And Notre Dame was running some RPOs to start the game um, against Louisville. Um so, yeah, I mean, I would get closer to 50%. I mean, as long as you can do it, I, I don't know why Notre Dame has to do it. That was something I'd like to ask Jared Parker on Tuesday. What, what, if they, why they haven't used as much play action? What, what are his thoughts on play action are? I mean, because he's, he's, it's his first year as a coordinator at Notre Dame. We haven't, those aren't, those are the questions that we maybe haven't asked him previously or have a good, um, knowledge of where, he, where he stands on that. Um, but in terms of under center, the ones that come to mind to me were are specific to NC State game where they were running a lot of the multiple tight end sets and they were doing what uh, John Gruden famously called Spider Two Y Banana when they were throwing to the either the fullback or tight end um, with Holden Stays and David Sherwood scoring some touchdowns. Those were from under center. I I can't think of a lot of other under center play action plays that they've done this season, but I'm doing this off the top of my head and I don't have like a. a that indexed anywhere that I have charted uh, Notre Dame certainly would have that information, but um, I think, I think it certainly could be helpful um, and maybe get some of the um, get Notre Dame some more opportunities, but here's here, a counter to that would be Notre Dame's passing game problem. Isn't that they need to get more guys in the box. They're already enough of the guys in the box. Like, they, they need the guys on the outside to make some plays and Sam Hartman and, and come up with some schemes to get those guys in, in position to make plays. So while I do think some play action would be better, I, I don't think like introducing more bodies to the box by doing play action looks is going to, going to make that big of a difference. Now, obviously still the cornerbacks can be influenced by play action too. And if you get them influenced by play action, that can certainly um, help the wide receivers out quite a bit. Right. And, and we should, well, we'll talk about injuries and personnel here in a little bit. Let's take some more questions before we get there. All right. Um, we got some USC questions, so let's I, let's use that to leave that to when we get to USC. Here's okay. another one from Bob Alvey. Is it possible to spread things out 
then run up the middle. 12, 13, and four, and sometimes 14 personnel brings too many hats in the box. Why not spread Evans and stays out at the same time to open up some lanes? I mean, I have seen them split the tight ends out before. Um, again, I'm not charting how much that happens, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's an awful idea to spread things out some, but, uh, again, if you can't block, if, you know, if they're going to, I don't know, I, I think it's a good idea, but I, I don't think it's the cure-all where they just say, okay, let's spread out. And again, if you have limited receivers, wide receivers like they did against Duke and they're playing the whole game, then you want to use some of your tight ends more. I, I just think Notre Dame isn't really built to do that and do it well constantly, but I don't think that's a bad idea to sprinkle that in. Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I agree that sometimes 12 and 13 and 14 play play plays against Notre Dame because it brings one more guy in the box and it brings one more blocker into the scenario that if they mess up, the whole play can be ruined. Um, I know there was a, a running play that Eli Raritan missed a block on um, that Jabron Payne had a pretty clear hole at the middle if, if, if Eli Raritan doesn't miss that block. And that's one block. It's on the outside. You think it might not matter as much as it, especially even on an inside run play but it still matters. Um, and so when you introduce all those hats to the box, um, you, you, I think you, you lower your margin for air um, because it, it, there's going to be guys that are in position to potentially make plays. Um, and so I think they could run, run some more with some spread out formations um, and, and find different ways to do that. I think Jeremiah Love would certainly be good at that. I think even Audrey Estime would be good at that. Um, and I think some of it you could put on Sam Hartman, like, Hey, if we get this look, let's hand it off here. And maybe he's, maybe he's not doing that enough. Um, maybe he's throwing it too much in those situations. I don't have a, a great read on that currently. Um, but, uh, I think there are certainly different things that Notre Dame can do to get more advantageous looks in the running game. All right. Uh, Jerry McClurg before the show started commented this, uh, I'm not really sure which one we're supposed to which question we're, we're meant to ask 10 men on the field uh, estimation down in the ball at the one instead of the touchdown fourth and 11 at his own. He, he's given you a litany of problems first. Do, yeah. Does Marcus Freeman learn anything from this and admit they were mistakes or correct or urban Meyer. And I, I don't know if he's comparing Marcus Freeman to urban Meyer or should we fire Marcus Freeman to hire urban Meyer? I'm not sure which one he's, what he's implying there. I think reading the tea leaves here, that's what he is suggesting. Uh, or he's giving that as an alternative. If Marcus doesn't learn from those things, do they hire Urban Meyer, who I guess is going to be here for the Fox Noon kickoff show? Yeah, Notre Boy, Dame they... created, a gra created a graphic that included Urban Meyer on it because it had the whole Fox Noon kickoff crew on it and the ND football account. Tweeted, tweeted. Well, I'll tell you, boy, they, they made that decision before the Notre Dame game and the USC game, and they were almost in double jeopardy because USC came very, very close to losing to Arizona at home on Saturday night. Um, so does Marcus Freeman learn anything from this? and admit they were mistakes and correct them. I think he's admitted that they were mistakes. Um, I, I think Marcus has done a really good job of owning things. Again, I think there's 
a lot of things that I like about Marcus that I I'm encouraged in terms of what he can do with, you know, what kind of head coach he can be. But there are some concerns that I think are right on his plate right now that he needs to deal with. And yeah, he needs to learn from uh, not only the 10 men on the field and the maybe kneeling down on the one yard line and the um, things that happened, the Louisville game, those were the most alarming to me. You know, I wonder if maybe he's leaning too far into analytics uh, because he talks about them a lot in his his reason for decisions. And I think I think analytics are a guide. I don't think they're the end all be all. It's kind of like pro football focus grades. They're one evaluative tool, but they're not everything. I think he's got to rely on his instincts. And if he doesn't have them on offense, he needs to develop them. I, I, I'm sure that he has them on defense. And then lean into those every bit as much. I asked Al Golden that question. I asked him how much he uh, relied on analytics. And he loves to know what the numbers are, but then he wants to make the decisions himself. And that's based on, you know, certainly more years of being in football than Marcus has. Yeah, I mean, the only way we can know if he's learning is if he does things differently, given similar oppor- uh, like opportunities. Differently and better, not just differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, but if he does it differently and the wrong thing happens, did he learn from it? Or, what? like, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, if he did the other thing and it didn't work either, like, you could say. Well, if he well, starts rotating quarterbacks, that's <laughs> different. <laughs> um, that's not better. I think I think sometimes, like post game, when Marcus to say, "Well, that's what the percentages said," or that was like analytics say this. Sometimes it feels like, well, if you're sort of handing over your decisions to analytics, are you owning the decision? Or are you just saying, "Well, that's what I was, that's what I, I was supposed to do given the given the statistics of the situation," um, and so I, I think it'll be something that we'll continue to monitor if well, how he how he learns from these situations and. Um, becomes a better coach from them, or or doesn't. Um, there's no guarantee that he will, but he certainly be, he's given he's been given enough lessons at this point. I think in terms of uh, his first two seasons as a head coach, with opportunities to to grow and learn as a head coach. I mean, the one thing I feel really good about Marcus Freeman is he's been through enough tough things in his life, and he's been through enough bad seasons and turn them around, you know, his first year at Cincinnati as a defensive coordinator, right? As a defensive coordinator. So I think he's definitely got the emotional mental wherewithal for this. It's just how quickly can he learn? And is he going to get it from the right places? Because you can get lots of bad advice. I'm sure everybody's given him advice this week, except for maybe his wife. She would stay out of that. All right, that's it for questions for now. Let's get back to your uh, what you want to talk about, Eric. Okay, so we're going to get into uh, setting the stage for this game. So let's first talk about the injuries. There was mostly good news on the injury front. Do you want to run through those? Yes, I can do that. Uh, Thomas Harper and Gabriel Rubio, um, Notre Dame starting nickelback and second string defensive tackle. Both missed the Louisville game uh, while in concussion protocol, and they are expected to be back this week. Blake Fisher had a hand injury late in the Louisville game. Um, 
that's why he was removed for Tosh Baker late um, per Marcus Freeman. And then Freeman did not seem to be worried about it being an issue this week. Pat Coogan uh, had a knee injury that limited him last Tuesday in practice. Um, it wasn't exactly clear if that'll impact him. He didn't indicate that that would impact Pat Coogan, but I, I, you asked specifically about like the old line and he didn't seem to, he didn't name names. Like these guys are all starting or like, uh, I tried to go there. <laughs> you tried to go there, but he didn't necessarily I even gave him Billy Shrouth show all his cards. Uh, Jaden Greathouse, uh, continued to be limited by his hamstring injury in practice last week. And that was why. His snaps were limited on Saturday, so Marcus Freeman said that they'll need to see some more in practice from him to get his snaps back up this week. And then uh, a Deion Colsey update. He had the arthroscopic knee surgery before the Duke game. He's expected back sometime after the bye week from that knee surgery. That's sort of what you would expect, um, but not necessarily a, a clear timeline of exactly when he'll be back other than sometime after the bye week. So when I asked Marcus about the offensive line stuff and was trying to get that specifics today, it reminded me last night I was talking to my eight-year-old grandson. I was with him for a little bit. Uh, he he just turned eight, so it was his birthday. And so we were kind of going through things in his life. And I said, well, how's school? And he's like, uh, he made that noise. And that's, Marcus didn't make that noise, but that was kind of the end result. So, uh, Rio's school and Marcus's offensive line problems, I think, are connected. Um, okay, ongoing, they're both ongoing sagas. <laughs> they're both ongoing sagas that I didn't get to the bottom of. But you know what? I figure his dad can get to the bottom of this. I'm just the grandpa. So, okay. So not only is Notre Dame playing its eighth week without a bye, it's four straight night game, it's four straight rank opponent. There's a heavy academic demand this week. It's midterm finals this week. How best for Marcus to handle this, in your opinion? And how do you think he handled it in the press conference, Tyler? Um, He didn't get asked about the academic things. I threw that in there. no. He sort of indicated like there maybe would be a period of more of live action. Um, I don't know what exactly changed last week. I know like we were scheduled to talk to players on, on Tuesday earlier than we normally are. So that would lead you to believe that practice was a little bit shorter than normal. Or they um, were just eager to talk to us. Or they just were dying to talk to us. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't think you can change much. If you weren't prepared for Louisville, how are you going to be prepared uh, for USC by doing the same thing uh, or doing less, even though the players have midterm. So I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know that there is a good answers here. I think your, your players just have to dig deep. You have to come up with a game plan right. that, that is maybe simplified and just ask them to play their best and not, not have to be strategic geniuses to, to play their best. So, um, I don't have a good answer for this one. I don't, what, what do you think, Eric? Yeah, well, I mean, the one thing Marcus said was we're not going to use it as an excuse and we don't want anybody to provide that excuse for us. I mean, that was, a, I think, a good press conference answer. Mm -hmm. But but I, I do think it's a challenge. I mean, we've seen – I mean, Notre Dame's had games like this with USC before in this particular week. We've also seen them have it when they have no classes – that was the the odd thing about that Michigan debacle in 2019. It came after a week they had a bye week and 
no classes in the same week, which is going to be what happens next week here. They will have no classes and no game next week. Um, you really have to strike a balance here, given how tired they are. But I guess the one thing is, and I think the people on the beat are looking forward to this too, there is the bye week coming up. <laughs> there is the light at the end of the tunnel. No matter how much you put into this week, yeah. you are going to get some time to recoup next week you don't have another difficult week next week so i would try to strike a balance i think they do need to do some things at full speed more maybe not more physical but usc is so different in what it does from any of the other teams that they played both offensively and defensively it's a whole different set of challenges uh but uh, yeah, I would I would try to strike a balance and be a little bit more full speed, maybe not so much knocking people around. Yeah, I mean, I, like in different years, like wouldn't wouldn't we wouldn't an easy question after the Louisville game be like, hey, maybe Notre Dame was looking ahead at USC? Like, I don't I haven't heard anyone say that. I guess I don't know why. I mean, I don't know. I don't necessarily believe that was true either. But it seems like a pretty easy angle to take. But I I think. Maybe Louisville being ranked and uh, knowing that this was a good competition. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like sometimes, like, it's just easy to take the excuse of, well, they're worn out or, well, they were looking ahead. And, and when we don't know, we don't know if they were, if they're worn out. They're not going to admit to being that. Um, I asked Joe Alt after the game if they felt they were physically dominated. And he said he didn't feel that. Um, and he, he felt like they were playing on their they heels were, a little bit. They were strategically dominated. Um, so um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's uh, if if they lose to USC, people are like, oh, this was too hard of a week for them. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, it is what it is. This is this well, this is what you signed the, up the for. Only, the, they knew the this only, the entire year. Right. It's it's not. This isn't new. The schedule isn't new. Um, maybe well, Louisville was better on, than you. That's expensive. on Jack Swarbrick. If this is not a great schedule, I mean, he didn't know it was going to be four ranked teams in a row. You didn't know that Duke and Louisville, but you did know it was going to be eight weeks without a bye week and you could have tried to put one a little bit more strategically because you go bye week, then two games, then another bye week, then two games. So, yep. Okay. Let's, let's take a look at USC. They're the number one scoring offense in the country. They have the best player in the country in um, Caleb Williams he is number one in pass efficiency, number one in points responsible for, number seven in total offense all by his lonesome. Uh, there's no glaring offensive weaknesses. Defensively, they have scads of weaknesses. They have not been able to stop anybody. They're 89th against the rush. They're 89th in pass efficiency defense, 109th in total defense. They gave up. 28 points, a season-high 28 points to former Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine making an emergency start a couple weeks ago. And then against Arizona's backup quarterback, not Jason Delora, but Noah Fafita, a five foot nine hundred and seventy-five pound sophomore. They gave up more than 500 total yards, eight of 16 on third downs, and a 43-41 triple overtime victory. The one thing that they do very well on defense is they bring pressure. They are number one in the country and tackles for loss, number five in sacks. They take a lot of gambles, 
But I think against Notre Dame, given how the offensive line played in the last game, it's a good gamble. So what do you think of that? Um, what do you think of that matchup? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm sort of at the point where almost all matchups are the same for Notre Dame's offense. Defenses are going to continue to do the same things. Right. Uh, they're going to blitz. They're going to stunt. They're going to try to cause confusion. Um, and I think USC is is capable of doing that. Now, will they be able to do that at a high percentage rate? Um, I don't know. Notre Dame's got to play better to to prevent or, or USC from being able to do that. I mean, USC's defense wasn't great last year, and they looked pretty pretty good, at least against the run against Notre Dame when it hadn't been good against the run pretty much for the most of the season. So, Because they dare Drew Pine to beat them deep, and they will dare Sam Hartman to beat them deep until he yeah. he can do it. And uh, so – can, can Notre Dame take advantage of that secondary? Can can maybe Notre Dame just run the ball right at them? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I it the I think Vegas thinks so. I think the start of the game will be very telling. If you go back and watch the Louisville game, Notre Dame came out throwing the football, um, which I think is in retrospect is kind of surprising to me that they didn't try to establish the run. I mean, Marcus Freeman talks about wanting to establish the run. They just came out through four consecutive passes. Um, to start the game, the fourth being an interception. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, I, 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 there's, it seems there's a lack of confidence in Notre Dame's running game, both from the coaching staff and maybe from some, some off offensive linemen, uh, as of late. And, and Notre Dame can't go into this USC game lacking confidence in its running game because I think if it does, I don't know that it has much of a chance of winning. Okay, you mentioned that there were some USC related questions. Do you want to get those in now? Yeah, let's. Uh, Major Payne's been firing questions at us, so let, let me get to a, one related to Saturday's game. He said there's a 94 percent chance of rain on Saturday. Do you think that is good for Notre Dame? Okay, the last time somebody did that to me, it was in a chat, and it was a trick question because there was zero chance of rain, and, and <laughs> it ended up being zero. So let me <laughs> let me look. Okay, it does look like there's rain in the forecast, uh, and about a 70 percent chance. It's going to be cool. I will say that. Um, so 94 port chance, good for us, meaning, I guess, <laughs> Notre for, for Notre Dame, not yeah. for people sitting out in the stands. <laughs> um, I would say not necessarily because I think USC's receivers, they played in the rain before, and it's, I mean, you're trying to deal with Caleb Williams, and if if Notre Dame's passing game suffers for from the rain, you know, USC will scheme to stop the run. They'll put extra bodies in the box and say, okay, we can play this game. So I, I don't know that the rain necessarily favors Notre Dame. I think the cool weather will be good because Notre Dame will be used to it and USC will be, you know, freezing cold looking for their coats. But um I think I don't think the rain helps Notre Dame necessarily. Yeah, doesn't help the media. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know that it, it gives Notre Dame a s significant advantage. I, maybe it, I can't imagine Caleb Williams is going to love playing in the rain. Um, so maybe that helps, but tackling him doesn't necessarily get easier when when he's wet. Uh, so uh, yeah. maybe that maybe that's that remains, or maybe that becomes an even ta taller task. Um, so uh, I think. Uh, I think it, the rain as an advantage might be a, a little bit overstated um, going into this game on Saturday. Notre Dame's offense 
isn't isn't performing well in perfect conditions. So why why they would perform well under rainy conditions, I, I don't know that I would be able to make a strong argument for that either. Um, okay, some more USC questions. Jeffrey Stevens, what defensive lineup gives us the best chance of chasing down literally Caleb Williams on third downs on Saturday? I think Jalen Sneed's got to be on the field some. I think that helps because he's the fastest linebacker by far. Now, Tyler has mentioned he's not a sure tackler, but he is a guy that can bring pressure, and he is a guy that can chase uh, chase Caleb Williams. I think you also have to keep your defensive line fresh and rotate a lot of people through there so that they are able to go after him. You know, this shouldn't be a game where where you don't see uh, Gabe Rubio, you don't see Jason Anye, and you go through all your Viper ends and so forth. I mean, Notre Dame is likely to be in nickel as their base, don't you think, Tyler? I think so. Yeah, I think Notre Dame or USC is way too good at passing to to run run a run base uh, rather than nickel. So, on so I think you have to, you know, I I mean I hate to pick on Maris Leafau, but I do think you need to rotate more at that position. I think you, we need to see more Jack Kaiser. We need to see more Jalen Sneed. Yeah, I would be in, I would be in favor of that. Um, I I do like what Jalen Snead is giving Notre Dame in terms of being a pass rusher. Um, I'd like to see him complete a sack um, uh, against Caleb Williams or something like that. But also, I like sacks are a tricky game. If you get too aggressive, then that's what Marcus Freeman said. You don't want to get behind the quarterback um, because then Caleb Williams is going to escape. He can and he can run or throw, and he'll run to throw, um, and that that makes. That makes him dangerous. It makes it harder for your defensive backs to to continue to cover as well. So um, he's just uncanny. I I watched the when I was writing. I watched pack little Pac twelve after dark. I watched the very end of regulation, all three er, o, overtimes with Arizona, and just the way he just so smoothly gets away from the rush or knows instinctively when there's going to be a great lane for him to take off and gash at defenses. Amazing. He didn't have he didn't have a great day throwing the ball, but boy was he a pain in the butt. All right, uh, Ryan asks: SC's defense gets rightfully criticized, but they have been good at getting to the quarterback. Seeing how ND's offensive line struggled with Louisville, how do you expect Grinch to attack this struggling offense? Well, they they do a good job with their front four, and they also blitz well. And I think what it's going to take um again if you if you decide okay let's play two tight ends and protect more than you are inviting more people in the box which is going to affect your running game i mean i think a lot of this is going to be leaning on sam hartman to know where the pressures are coming from and take advantage of that vacated area so i think that's going to be really important for notre dame uh, to to deal with it. But yeah, I think they're going to try to use just their front four and at times bring blitzes and that's just who they are. I mean, they'll live with whatever that turns into. Again, that little quarterback from Arizona impressed the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. He was he wasn't intimidated by their pressure at all. Um and and Notre Dame's really and some of it is 
Sam Hartman's going to have to tuck it and run um, because they're going to, he's going to get outside the pocket and he's just going to have to take off sometimes. And, you know, you're in game eight of the season that that's going to be a requirement. That's what he's going to need to do to take advantage of that. Yeah. I indicated earlier, like I think the game plan for every defense against Notre Dame is going to be pretty similar um, right. until, until proven that it doesn't work. Right. It's um, the curveball. Yeah. And you uh, curve. right. And so I think we'll see much of the same. You'll, you'll see blitzes, you'll see stunts. Um, I think, Backside blitzes have been particularly effective against Notre Dame's running game when it's a little bit slower moving. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think we'll see a lot of that. And uh, Notre Dame's going to have to be able to counteract that, get the ball to guys in space, and uh, make some guys miss because uh, um, unless Notre Dame can run the ball up the middle against USC, I think that's that's about all Notre Dame sort of would seemingly have left in its in – its, uh, repertoire to to make make things happen against this uh, USC defense all right uh Jeffrey Stevens how should ND game plan for the dynamic dynamic USC punt returner uh Z branch I think it's Zachariah branch uh special teams punting for ND has been poor well special teams has been a disappointment overall uh, Spencer Schrader had a good day I mean kicking two field goals over 50 yards for the first time in a Notre Dame game ever and executing an onside kick. I don't think uh, Bryce McPherson has been poor. I think the coverage hasn't been great consistently. And there's maybe times, you know, he needs a little bit more hang time. But, um, you know, Notre Dame is going to have to be much better in their coverage when they're, um, when they're doing the punt returns. Uh, and Bryce McPherson is going to have to prioritize hang time over maybe a little bit of distance. Yeah, I thought Bryce was poor against Louisville. He did not. I have did any... against Louisville, but overall this year, I think he's been. Um, good. So I don't know what went into that. So they need. I think that needs to be corrected. Um, it wasn't a trend that I had been monitoring until the the Louisville game. Um, so certainly that should be. Needs to get out of now. You can't kick a line drive to Branch and let him have room to run. Um, that's not that's not ideal. I think you're gonna have to do a lot of sideline kicking um, and try to keep keep it away from him. Um, and uh, like you said, also kick it kick it high and uh, make him fair catch it. So um, the other thing would be to not have to punt. <laughs> right, <laughs> Notre Dame's had, offense needs to play well. He averaged forty two point five yards on four punts, but. Um, Coleman returned three or three of them for 21 yards. All right. Ed Straub asks, who has better wide receivers, USC or Ohio State? Hands down, Ohio State. Yeah, agreed. I don't know that there's – I need to say much more there. USC has good receivers, um, but it also has a very good quarterback that, that allows them to be even better than they okay. are. They do have good – they do have they, – they have talent, but yeah. um, they don't have – they don't have the – Multiple first round draft picks potentially uh, at receiver. Um, okay, currently, let's say that they had a special NIL deal where Notre Dame could swap out that that they had to swap out Sam Hartman in their offense, and and you either got USC, so you got Caleb Williams and his receivers, or you got 
Kyle McCord and Ohio State's receivers. Which would you Caleb think? Caleb Williams? Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, he's the yeah he he's the Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. Um, the gap between the gap between Caleb Williams and Kyle McCord is far larger than the gap between Ohio State's receivers and right. USC's receivers. Even though we think it's with no without certainty that Ohio State has the better receivers, USC isn't running scrubs out there. They're, they're USC's wide receivers, for instance, are far better than Notre Dame's receivers. Um, so it's uh, uh, it, 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 USC's receivers can give Notre Dame a challenge, but I, I think if uh, part of that challenge is the challenge that Caleb Williams put on puts on you and the, his ability to throw passes that would seem almost impossible sometimes. Okay, uh, before before we do another question, let me throw one at you real quick. That okay, I'm sure. Sure, we don't miss, and that is where where Notre Dame's receivers are going. We all of a sudden have this elevation of Jordan Faison to a scholarship player. Yeah. Tobias Merriweather was, I mean, he had, I think, 25 snaps, but it really seemed like he was de-emphasized in that game. Mm -hmm. Jaden Thomas was back, but didn't make a big impact. Jaden Greathouse, maybe we'll see more of him this week. So what are your thoughts? Until Colsey comes back, who are you counting on wide receiver wise, who do you want to see be involved? Uh, Jaden Thomas, um, okay. even though he hasn't necessarily played as well as I thought he would this season. I mean, honestly, I don't know that any wide receiver has other than maybe Jaden Greathouse. Um, I still think there's more opportunities for Chris Tyree out there. I know he didn't, there was a play that he had an opportunity to make against Louisville and didn't, but I don't know that there's a long list of plays that Chris Tyree hasn't made when given the opportunity to. So I still think there's ways to get him involved more. I, the stock is going down for me on Rico Flores. I think he's being asked to do too much. I think he's better as a rotational guy than the starter out there. So I don't know. I like Rico Flores as a player, but I have been a little bit discouraged by what I've seen the last couple of weeks. Obviously the, the two point conversion against Duke aside, he certainly has had some good moments, but I think with the workload he's been given, I don't know that he's playing to his best right now. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I still would like to have a few plays drawn up for Tobias Merriweather. Um, you don't. I mean, you don't have to throw it if it's if he's not open. Um, but I, I think there's he just does something that no one else on Notre Dame's roster can do. Um, and I know I understand why he's sort of seemingly in the doghouse based on his performance. Um, but there's just not a long, there's not a long enough list of guys that can do what he can do when he's playing his best. Maybe, maybe last week is enough of a message to get him in a better shape for this USC game. Um, and I think Jaden Greathouse needs to play a big role too. I think that was um, certainly noticeable that he wasn't able to, to, play at the level that he has played at earlier this season. What do, what do you think, Eric? Do you have any reasonable answers for Notre Dame at wide receiver? I, I I would really invest in Tobias during the bye week to see if you can get him going because if you can, he can change the whole dynamic of their passing game. If he commands not only coverage but extra coverage, it right. opens up other things in their offense. Uh I, I would like to see Jaden Thomas get a lot of reps. And I agree with you about Chris Tyree uh, and, and Jaden Greathouse. Those are the guys I would prioritize. But until Tobias is ready, I'm going to have to ride with Rico Flores a little bit, mix in some Jordan Faison, 
Um, you know, and when Dion Colsey gets back, that gives you a few more options. But, uh, I mean, they need somebody that can separate. And, and we've seen Tobias do it. We just haven't seen him do it very consistently. We haven't seen him do it a lot in games. So I don't I don't know that we've criticized Sam Hartman much during this, but he needs to play better too. He did not yeah. play he did not play well. Um even interceptions aside, I think I uh there were some moments where I didn't think he made made as good of throws as he had in the past or gave guys chances right. in situations. So um I think Sam Hartman um needs to play to play better uh against right. USC for right. for have a chance to win. All right. And and again, some of it relates to the offensive line and protection, but I will say this. He's still way better off than what he'd be at Wake Forest. They are 127th <laughs> out of 130 in sacks allowed. So Sam Sam probably doesn't have envy about going back to the, there. There's a question, Tyler, at the bottom of the screen about uh, Braylon James. Can we pull that one up? Yeah, yeah. I got. I had four questions here I wanted to get through. Let's okay. start with that one. We'll try to be and quick this is here a lightning round. Yeah. So, yeah, since we're getting towards the end of the show here, running over time. Uh, we are not Marshall asked, how is it possible that the staff can get a walk on ready to play, but Braylon James can't sniff the field. This is a complete indictment to the lack of development by Marcus Freeman and his crew. I don't know that it's a lack of, I don't know that it's an indictment. I would indict them in other areas. Braylon James is a super talented outside receiver that they could use. And we knew that he was going to be very raw coming in. I I wouldn't be surprised in time if he's every bit as good as the other two freshmen. But I think his expectations, I think the coaching staff and everybody that was watching that said, wow, Braylon James is going to be something at some point, but probably not in 2023. Whereas Jordan Faison, the reason you haven't seen him earlier, I think, too, is because of the whole scholarship thing, yeah, you know, having to commit to that for the rest of his career, as long as he plays football, he's on football scholarship. It's not just a one year thing. And then, Oh, well back to uh, lacrosse is scholarship. It, do we know that that is true? It has to yeah. be four years. Well, well, as long as he's on the football team, that's even, even if he, even, even if he doesn't play, because if he became a scholarship player this year, because he played, say he weren't to, he didn't see the field okay. next year. Well, we, I we, will double check that, but that is my, I don't, I, I don't have an answer. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just don't, I don't know. Either that, way. that is my understanding of it from having to deal with this never before between lacrosse, but with soccer mm-hmm. and stuff, at least that was the old rule because teams otherwise could stash somebody. It'd be like having a practice squad. Okay, mm-hmm. he's back to being the other sport scholarship. As long as he's on the roster now, I think he has to do that. And I can check with compliance because they're really Notre Dame compliance is really good at those questions, but I'll ask that. Okay, next lightning round question. Uh I just want to chime in here. Like, I don't think it's fair to like say, well, they can't the development isn't good. Like they developed Jordan Faison on the play, so like they have to get credit for that, don't they? Like so I think it's a little bit unfair, but I think the, I think the question is valid. Like, why can't they get Braylon James ready to play, right. especially when his position is more of a need? At least in my my opinion, why aren't there and everybody aren't there opinion. six routes that 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 Braylon James can run? I like I it, it's hard. We for went me. through that with Golden Tate when he was a freshman. You <laughs> yeah, know, Evan Sharply said he he got in because it was they were rotating him and Claus, and they didn't want. Um, Clawson playing the games where he might get banged up, so they put Evan Sharpley in there. Evan goes, go long. 
<laughs> it was a run. Wasn't like they could only run Golden. Uh, Golden would only align to the side, Notre Dame sideline, so the right. So they t- tell him what to, to do. Him. <laughs> yeah. Um. And all right. He uh, ends up being the Blitnikoff winner. So. Uh, Ryan asks, is Sam Hartman allowed to audible out of a run play when the opposing D shows nine of 10 in the block box? I assume he was allowed to as a veteran, but it doesn't look evident as they go through with the original call. I got the, uh, the impression that he was allowed to do that. But when Marcus answered that question, Marcus Freeman answered that question today, it was very confusing about, well, I think, I think he, I took it as like, there are situations where he's not allowed to audible. That that was yeah. what I, right. And maybe maybe the, these these are the situations that he has an audible are the situations that Notre Dame fans want him to audible. I I don't know that for certain, but um, it does seem at least like they're he's not given free reign to audible whenever he wants. All right, uh, Alan Saunders, USC strength is a team speed on offense. Can Notre Dame match that? Nobody has to this point. I, I mean, I think you have to mitigate it. Yeah. But, I mean, they're averaging 52 points a game. Nobody's slowed them down. Um, you have to mitigate it as much as you can, and then you have to outscore them. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. going to be a 17-14 game. If it is, you know, I'll come back on here and admit that. <laughs> I was wrong. I was dead wrong. It's, Eric, something tells me that if that happens, people will be telling you were wrong before we get back here. Yeah, I know. Sleeps. I know. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, go ahead. I, I mean, I think if you can hold them into the 30s, you should be jumping up and down and pretty happy about that. You're going to have to score in the 40s to, to win the game, I think. Um, I, maybe Notre Dame tries to slow the plays down, but uh, I think they can mitigate what USC does, but you're not holding them under 30, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to hope that you, their speed doesn't exploit you too much. I mean, I think even Louisville's speed at times exploited Notre Dame, especially with Jawar Jordan, like his two touchdown runs. It's like, wow, Notre Dame did not – think he could was that fast and did not take the right angles to take care of him um and he took advantage of that i don't think usc has that speed at the running back position necessarily but they do have that position at why that speed at wide receiver and running and quarterback um so i think uh notre dame is gonna have to be smart about it take the right angles um and try to keep it as much in front of them as possible but there are going to be instances where that's not going to always play out in notre dame's favor all right, let's do the last one. Does anyone really think Lincoln Riley's offense is based on great play calling? No, it's based on talented quarterbacks making something out of nothing. In college football, talent makes average coaching look great. Um, I'll tell you what, Lincoln Riley, when he was at East Carolina, was a pretty innovative guy. In fact, there was a point where Brian Kelly wanted to interview him for the uh, quarterback's coaching position at Notre Dame and that's when they hired it was right before uh, it was right before Sanford it was the guy that was there was one and done Matt LaFleur Matt LaFleur uh, they ended up hiring Matt LaFleur instead of Lincoln Riley I mean he was pretty bright yes I think those kind of quarterbacks make him look a lot better but Jalen Hurts was kind of you know, I mean, he was bumped to the second string at right uh, Alabama, and 
I had a friend whose son played at Alabama and he couldn't say enough crummy things about Jalen Hurts and his inability <laughs> to get his son the ball. Uh, so, uh, but I can't wait for a few people to try to figure out who that is. <laughs> but but I, but but I think uh, well I mean the thing is he doesn't wouldn't mind me saying that that's the funny thing he's brash enough that he doesn't mind me saying that so and if he does he knows where to find me <laughs> um yeah but I mean I, I think he does both things well right yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't have such a long track record of quarterbacks wanting to play for him um if. It was just based on the quarterback's talent level alone. Like I, I think, if he was the Steve Fisher of college football, Steve Fisher rolling out the ball to the Fab Five, right? Yeah, I think, I think there's there is some good play calling that happens. I think you, we probably see less of it with Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, I think, is a different animal. I mean, he just he does things that he, I, I'm not sure I've seen many quarterbacks do before, um, and so he can make those plays happen, but. There are, I mean, if you watch, there will be some straight dropbacks that that work in USC's favor too. It's not just the quarterback scrambling and making something happen. Those aren't the only. That's not the only way that USC has success with this offense. And um, I think uh, I'd let Lincoln Riley call my offense any day of the week. Uh, I don't. I don't know how many guys I would take ahead of him in college football. I, I, uh, I'm right not now. sure I would swap him out for his brother. Isn't his brother the? Garrett Riley at Clemson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, 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 uh, he got fat off of uh TCU's big season and, uh, he's, uh, he's learning, uh, the adjustment to not playing against big 12 defenses <laughs> on a weekly basis. Um, all right. We, we've gone over here, so I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, if, uh, if you didn't hear at the beginning of the show or see, as we put on the screen throughout the show, we do have a 30-day free trial for InsideIndieSports.com that is available to our YouTube audience, so please take advantage of that. There's a link in the description below. Use code NDYT when you sign up to get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to Eric and I over on the Insider Lounge. We will be back with some more YouTube content later this week, so make sure you are subscribed here. Like and comment, share share your thoughts with us, share, share our page with some other folks, turn your notifications on. We'll have Place Your Bets on Friday with some prop bets and predictions for the USC game. And then another early Sunday morning post-game takeaways from whatever happened Saturday night in Notre Dame Stadium. Have a good week. <laughs>